Well, good morning, everyone. This uh, is our last Sunday. We just did a four-part series on Nehemiah, so it's just a short series. And uh, this is the final part four of that. And uh, there's a, for those small groups that continued and are following along, you have a handout uh, in your bulletin. And uh, you can use that through the week in your small groups, or if you're just doing your own quiet time, or your own divorce, devotions, there's uh, uh, sort of five questions and things to meditate upon in that, and you can use that this week. But as we've been doing Nehemiah, the, uh, we began with uh, repenting, rebuilding, and then revival or renewal. And uh, so Nehemiah began in repentance, the repentance of the people of God, realizing that God can't come into our lives, God can't do the work that he hopes to do to restore us and to revive us and to renew us and rebuild us and redeem us until we repent. And then once that repentance takes place and we realize where we stand before God and how we need him to work in our lives, then that rebuilding can begin. But the rebuilding won't happen until the repentance. And then we, we looked at rebuilding and what it is that God wants us to do, the, the territory that we've lost. We've lost ground as a church. We've lost ground in our own lives. And God wants to rebuild. He wants to restore. He wants to renew. He wants to redeem. He's a redeeming God. He's always at work in the process of rebuilding. And he wants us to join it with him in rebuilding in our own lives, in his kingdom, in the world. It's about rebuilding and renewal. And, uh, and then we talked about revival, how revival kind of comes from that rebuilding and that there's a, an opportunity for God's people to just uh, come alive and see things change in the community around them and see God at work as, as we've repented and rebuilt, then revival follows and we see that happen. And now for the last one, we're just looking at rejoicing, rejoicing and reforming. And so when you see that revival happen, when it happens in your own life, when you see it happening in your family, when you see it happening in your community, the response of the people is to rejoice. And we like to rejoice. We should rejoice. I mean, we come here every Sunday and we sing songs of rejoicing, you know, because we're joyful and we should. But the danger, there's actually a danger here that we get in Nehemiah as as we look at chapter 12 about rejoicing and then in chapter 13 is that it can be a little bit too easy to stay in the rejoicing. It's really fun to be in that sort of joyful uh, um, celebration of who God is. And, and we just kind of want to stay there in the rejoicing and not keep up the rebuilding or keep up the renewal or keep up the, uh, the redeeming that's going up, that has to happen. Like we've done that and we're rejoicing and then we sort of leave that behind and just kind of stay in the rejoicing. God certainly wants us to rejoice. It's our job to do that. But what we see at the end of Nehemiah here, what it's going to tell us is that the renewing and the rebuilding and the redeeming has to keep going in the midst of the rejoicing. If we just rejoice and we just kind of rest on our laurels, so to speak, if we just kind of want to live in the party and not do any of the work that got us there, then it all starts to come about again, come apart again. And that's what God's going to show us, I think, uh, in the last couple chapters of Nehemiah. Let me just pray as we open God's word. Father, thank you for this book. We thank you for... Uh, Nehemiah, we thank you for uh, the preservation of this, for our good and our learning and the purpose of teaching us what you would have us learn from your people, the people of Israel. And so as we open up your word this morning, show us in our own lives individually and show us corporately as a church what you would have us learn about uh, what you would have us do in the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... 
in, I'm not going to read all of, there's so much text here, I'm just going to work through it and it'll be on the screen. I'm not going to read it ahead of time. Um, I'm just going to work through the text in chapter 12 and 13 as we kind of go through it. But in chapter 12, uh, after the walls have been built, there's sort of a description of a massive kind of city-wide party that goes on for days, right? And there's music, and there's food, and day after day people are singing, and they're eating, and it has this sort of list in chapter 12, if you go there, a kind of who's who list of attendees. Everybody is there who's participated in this. And they've invited people in from the surrounding countryside to participate in this massive celebration of the dedication of the walls getting rebuilt and the return of the people of Israel to safety. And uh, just that God has rebuilt in a matter of just a few weeks, a couple of months, what had been torn down for years. And everyone's there, and it's just incredible. And there's a list there in verses 1 to 26 of all the tribes and the Levites present and to praise and give thanks and dedicate the wall. And they're rejoicing at the finished work. And it says in Nehemiah 12:27 and on, uh, that at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And then it describes the singers who are there and all of the people from the various locations they are. And then he, Nehemiah says, I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and I appointed two great choirs. So he's got these two massive choirs and instruments going and they gave thanks and one went south and the other one went north. And so these choirs are basically on either side of, 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 of Jerusalem and they're singing towards each other and there's musical instruments. And uh, he followed one choir, and other leaders went with the other choir, it says in the verses that follow, and there's trumpets, you know, the brass section gets involved, and uh, the singers are sang, and, uh, and then they offered up great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, and God made them rejoice with great joy, it says in verse 43. The women and children also rejoiced. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Okay, so that's, that's chapter 12, okay? That's what's going on in the city of Jerusalem right now. It's just one huge party. It says, with gladness and thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals and harps and, and lyres. You know, so there's just the form of worship that's going on. You know, they got the percussion section, they got the string section, they got the brass section. Everybody is, they got the choirs, everybody's singing, everybody's making noise, and it's just an incredible party. And then those two choirs, right, they split in the big group and they go around north and south and they're singing and playing as they circle around the walls. And so you have this kind of battle of the bands that's going on on either side of the city. And they're just making so much noise and they meet in the temple. So they all gather in God's house at the end and there and there's sacrifices and offerings all day and rejoicing. And the joy of Jerusalem is heard far away. So there's just no doubt in this description that this was a big party because you could hear this party going on far away from the city itself. And so when we think about what we do here, you may wonder why singing and music is such a big part of church. Why do There's not very many places you go and everybody gets together and then, oh, let's sing five or six songs. I mean, it's just not something we do anymore, right? You go to a sports stadium, you sing the national anthem once and then maybe take me out to the ball game. Other than that you don't generally get together and sing just as a group of people. But in the church, that's what we do. We get together and we break out the instruments and we break out our voices and we sing. And it has such a big part in our worship that we sing. We shout our joy and show our joy to God. And it's meant to be joyful and rejoicing. It's meant to be heard far and wide. So when you sing, go ahead and sing out. It's meant to be heard. And by all means, rejoice. 
Because when the people of God gather and joyfully praise Him in this way, what we're doing here is we're actually picturing in the present world the future glory that God intends. And so this singing that we do as a church, as God's people gather together, just as Israel did, celebrating what God had done for them, right, to rebuild and restore and renew them, they gathered together to sing and play instruments and do it. And, and so we're showing that, but we're actually painting a picture of future glory that God intends. Because this singing and this playing and this joyfulness that we have is an invitation from, for, to everybody to participate in something that God has planned for eternity. Right? This is like an invitation to the rest of Halliburton to come and join in something that you can experience joy and hope and celebration here now, and it doesn't stop here. It goes on for eternity and just keeps getting better. And we see a picture of that in Revelation 7. Revelation 7, uh, 9, and sort of on from that, when John is speaking, he's, he, in Revelation, it's the, the, the peeling back of the curtain. God pulled back the curtain just for a moment for John to be able to see what was going on in the spiritual realm. And what, what John saw was this. He says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bri- His bride has made herself ready. Right. So when we are singing here, and it wasn't quite as loud as peals of thunder yet this morning, Okay. so when we sing later on, step it up a little, right? It's going to be so loud, it's going to be like you're in a thunderstorm because there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are giving glory to God for eternity. And so this singing, this rejoicing, this thunderous noise that we make, it's about giving God glory. And it is something that, and the joy of it, the rejoicing of it, the hope in it, the celebration of it, is all that God has intended for us for eternity. It's not just for now, it's, it's just a picture of what is to come for eternity. And so now, does the worship in Nehemiah or the picture that we have of it in heaven sound like our worship, right? We have to compare. We do pretty good, but, but, are, but are we there yet? Like, do we have like choirs on either side like battling each other across the auditorium, right? Maybe we should try that sometime and just see how that goes, right? right? Do we just circle the city singing in joyful celebration of what God has done, right? Do we go from our worship in that way into offering and sacrifice? And we make, do we make the connection between joy and celebration and then service to God that, that his people did here in Nehemiah? There's a direct connection between that. And that's us as a whole, but, but you can think about this for you individually, right? Because I understand that singing isn't everybody's gig, right? Like, not everybody's there. But when this party is going on, when we're, when we're singing at church, you know, or, or this party was going on in Jerusalem, do you think as, as that choir was formed, there was people just kind of shuffling along, mumbling the words, right? Or staring at the ceiling and wondering when it would all be over, right? Like, because, you know, some days I do that, right? Like, I'm just not there in the worship. And music doesn't have to be your favorite thing. But where is your heart in worship? We can bring our burdens. God wants us to bring our burdens to Him, right? He wants us to bring our cares. And I'm not saying that you don't, you know, that having a heavy heart is a wrong thing when you come through these doors about what's going on in your life or what's going on in the world. We will have times of very heavy hearts. 
But I think what's pictured here and what's pictured in Revelation and what God is saying about rejoicing and about singing is that what God intends for us is that this is an opportunity for us gathered as God's people, that our hearts can be rejoicing, our hearts can be joyful. Even if we are singing off-key, even if we don't know the words, we can hum a few bars, right? And, and our hearts and our rejoicing can be turned towards God at this time. The flavor of our time together with God is not mainly of sorrow, but mainly of joy, and that's intentional. So rejoicing is an important part of our spiritual health. It's an important part of our being salt and light so that the, the noise of our rejoicing is heard far from the city and people hear about something that's different and hopeful. And our purpose in glor- and, and it's a pur- has a purpose in glorifying God, has a purpose in many aspects of our faith. But there's, there's dangers, as I touched on at the beginning, there's dangers to becoming complacent in our joy and complacent in our service to God. They sang and they worshipped, but they also sacrificed and served. And after reclaiming the city of Jerusalem, after rebuilding and renewing their relationship with God, Nehemiah closes off the book, actually, in chapter 13, with a warning that we must not give back the territory that's been regained. Revival and reformation are meant to continue, and there's dangers if we don't. So I'm just going to touch on a few issues here that chapter 13 raises. After the rejoicing, after the celebration, after the party, after the enthusiasm, after the exaltation, we have to keep the service and the offering and the sacrifice and the revival and the renewal going. In chapter 13, he talks about the reform that has to happen about 12 to 15 years. The old complacency had set in. In Nehemiah 13, this is what can happen if the rejoicing stops is that Tobias can sneak back in amongst us. In Nehemiah 13, 4-9, it says, Now before this... What's that word? Eliashib. There it is. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God and who was related to Tobiah, remember Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and all the things in there. And I was not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, for the 30, in the 32nd year of our Artaxerxes, I went back. So he went back to Susa for about 12 to 15 years. And then after some time, he came back again. And what he found was that Tobiah had prepared for himself a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Okay, so Nehemiah had gone away. They'd had this big celebration, Battle of the Bands, party for weeks. God had rebuilt the walls. Nehemiah had gone away for a little while. He comes back. He finds out that the priest had actually invited Tobiah. And you remember who Tobiah was, right? The enemy that had been writing letters and trying to stop the work. This was an enemy, and the high priest had actually invited him to come and make his home in the storehouse of the temple. So, this, so the, this is a non-Jew, this is an enemy of God who's somehow related to the priest. And there's a connection there because I think he's probably related to the priest because probably the priest's son married Tobiah's daughter, which God had said, don't intermingle with these people who are enemies of yours. But this priest's son said, I'm going to marry this daughter who is the daughter of our enemy. And some, so now it's father-in-law. And so, oh yeah, you can now come move into the temple. And this is what happens if we get complacent in what ha- after God has done something for us is that as we grow complacent, suddenly we can make accommodations for things that were once our enemy. I mean, maybe it's literally old acquaintances in our life, but more likely it's old habits, right? Those, oh, those weekend parties, they're not so bad, right? And once you start returning to those weekend parties and your complacency, you know, 
well, there's some things there that I didn't used to do and I stopped doing when I came to know Christ, but you know, now, ah, now that I'm hanging out at these parties, it's not so bad to do those things. You know, we can do a little more drinking than usual. Why not? You know, or those old seductive habits that after God had entered into your life and there'd been the renewal and there'd been the rejoicing and the restoration and the redemption, but then as we become complacent, the old Tobiases start to come back, those old seductive habits. You know, where we'll just, you know, spend our time in places where we shouldn't be spending time or doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And slowly but surely, old enemies will come back and take up residence in your Christian life and God is farther and farther from your mind. And when Nehemiah returned, he had to cleanse the temple again, right? He came back and he realized they've let the enemy actually move into the temple of God. And so he's very angry and he kicks him out and he cleans the temple. And we have to regularly return to and attend our temple, our spiritual temple, and our time with God. We have to be diligent in the cleansing of our temple and diligent, diligent and vigilant in guarding it. As Paul says in Galatians 5.7, a little leaven leavens the whole dough. When you become complacent or you are not vigilant in maintaining that relationship with God, once he's rebuilt it and renewed it and restored it in your life, if you become complacent like Israel did, then the Tobiases can come back in. And it can start to corrupt what God had rebuilt and you start to lose the territory that you had won. And then secondly, what happens is the house of God gets neglected. In Nehemiah 13... Uh, he goes on to say, I also found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. And he confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? So he comes back and he realizes that the people weren't providing for the actual ministry work that was going on. And so the people who were doing the ministry work actually had to go back to the farm in order to do work and to live and to eat. Right, And the picture here is that God's kingdom, God's work is getting neglected because even after this huge celebration, this was only just a few years ago, where God had taken a city that had been broken for over 70 years, rebuilt it in a matter of months, all of God's people are starting to return. They're celebrating what God had done for them. And a few short years later, you know, their enemies moved into the temple. They're no longer going to temple. There's no longer, they're no longer paying for the ministry that's taking place. There's no longer service going on in the temple. The house of God is neglected. Even after all he had done for them, they've just suddenly forgotten so shortly after. And that's what happens when we sort of get negligent. It's easy for our spiritual houses to get neglected. Right, The time and the service that we used to offer to God when we were so overjoyed and we were so excited about the renewal and the restoration that he had done in our life and we were like, God, we're just going to serve you. We're going to do great things for you. And then like a few months or a few years later, all of a sudden that enthusiasm has died down and our spiritual house gets neglected and God's kingdom gets neglected. And that's what Nehemiah found here. The people of Israel's obligations to serve God had disappeared. Their obligations to his worship, to his word being preached, to people being cared for properly under his law, all of that had started to fall apart again. All those reforms that Nehemiah had brought started to fall apart. And that applies to us because we are the spiritual house of God. We are his people. If we just shrug our shoulders at our own spiritual self-care, if we just shrug our shoulders at tending to ourselves and tending to each other, then the spiritual house starts to suffer. If we just shrug our shoulders to the needs of ministry that are in our community, that God has a, a, a law of mercy, a law of Christ that we are to be caring for people. And if we no longer care for people properly as God intends us, and we just shrug our shoulders at that, it all starts to fall apart. God has good plans for us, good works that he planned ahead of time for us to do. Not to be neglected, but to be embraced for our good and for each other. And then see, 
Not only is the house of God neglected, but worship is replaced with consumerism. If we keep reading in Nehemiah, the lessons just keep coming. Nehemiah, farther down, 13.15, he says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading the winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loads, and they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Right, So basically they turned the Sabbath day into just a market day. Right, It's just everybody go shopping. And I'm not saying we should or shouldn't go shopping on Sunday. Everybody's got their Sabbath, right? But what Nehemiah is saying here is that the time that we had set aside for worship has been replaced with consumerism. And so we have to look at the people of God here and we have to consider ourselves and say, is our joy and our rejoicing at the renewal and the restoration and the redeeming that God has done in our lives... And it's this time that we should be spending with God and the attention and the joy and the celebration and the satisfaction that we should have in God being replaced with consumerism. And I think in the North American church, this is a pretty easy accusation to make. It's easy for us, if we just shrug our shoulders and get complacent about our joy and our rejoicing and our satisfaction in God, it's easy for us to shift our satisfaction to other things. Right? And just like here in Nehemiah's time where the whole Sabbath got turned into a market day, it's easy for us to kind of have a market day for our soul where we just decide, you know what, I'm not going to get my satisfaction and my joy in Christ anymore. I'm going to get it from Netflix or I'm going to get it from that new Sea-Doo or I'm going to get it from you know, that new laptop or I'm going to get it from whatever. Right? And we replace worship and satisfaction in God with consumerism, with the little things that moth and rust can destroy. And that's what Nehemiah saw. But those are almost the side effects in our life. Here's the real issue, the final point. Is that if we get complacent in our rejoicing or we rest on our laurels or we forget the great things that God is doing and that the renewal and the reformation and the rebuilding is to be an ongoing thing, then the salt and the light of the uniqueness of God's people is lost to the world. The real damage, though, is to the world and to the kingdom that God intends to see restored here. Because the world loses the light and the salt and the hope that the church is meant to bring if we let our lamp go out. And that's in Nehemiah 13, 23. He says, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashod and Ammon and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashod, and they couldn't speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, Oh, this is good. And cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I'm getting some leadership tips here from Nehemiah. You guys better watch out. Um, He says, And I confronted them and cursed them and beat them. And I made them to take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons and take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. And let, let me just clarify this. This is not, this is not mean, you know, this is not an ethnic issue anymore because um, we're not an ethnic nation. We're one people under God. And we're one. Pe- there's neither slave, nor, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, ne- free man, male nor female. We're all one under Christ Jesus. But you have to understand that under the law and at this time, God's intention was for when He plucked Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeas and made a great nation out of Abraham and all his descendants. His intention was that Israel was to be the salt and light to the world. It was the nation of Israel that worshipped this one true God, and that nation of Israel was meant to to be a beacon to the rest of the world of who God was. And it wasn't that other ethnicities couldn't become Jewish. They could. There was a way to be brought into and under the law, and that was fine. But that's not what was going on here. What was going on here was that the nation of Israel was basically abandoning their mission as the salt and light to the world of God's people. And they were just 
basically absorbing, and we talked about this earlier in this series, they were just sort of absorbing the culture around them. And they were quite content to not even be able to speak their own language, let alone know the law of God. They couldn't even read, their kids couldn't even read the law of God. They didn't know Hebrew. They, they couldn't understand who God was. And so what Nehemiah saw here was just this complacency had led to the complete dissolution of the missionary purpose, the kingdom purpose of the people of Israel. God intended Israel to be a light to the nations around them, and what Nehemiah was seeing was that they were completely unrecognizable from the rest of the cultures. They spoke the exact same language. And that is the real problem that we have. If, if we are complacent, if we just shrug our shoulders at the important purpose that we have, that God has restored and renewed us to be different, if we go out into the world and we are unrecognizable, then we are no longer salt, we're no longer light. If we go out into the world and we speak the same language and we wear the same clothes and we buy the same things and we watch the same TV shows and we talk about politics the same way and we treat our kids the same way and we raise our families the same way as the world, if everything we do is identical to the world, then we've completely lost our testimony. We've completely lost our purpose as a people. And so the warning here in Nehemiah 13 says that, yes, there is this great party, there's this great exaltation, there's this great rejoicing that God has come into the lives of his people, that he has restored the broken down walls, that he has renewed and redeemed lives, and he has brought his people and gathered them back together again. And we rejoice and we celebrate in that. But the warning here in the end of Nehemiah is that has to continue. You can't just rest in that. You have to continue that renewal. You have to continue that rebuilding. You have to continue that rejoicing. You don't leave it behind. Or we lose being salt and light. And we lose the uniqueness of God's people being able to reach the world. So don't treat... We don't want to treat our joy in God as just something that may come and go with whatever happens in your life. The lesson here at the end of Nehemiah is that rejoicing is important. That joy in the Lord is critical. That rejoicing is something that we are to do. God wants you to be joyful and for you to keep at it and not leave it behind. He doesn't want you to leave the party. He wants you to get involved in the serving and rebuilding and renewing and restoring so that the party keeps going. Right? The whole point of this joy and this celebration is that it keeps going on into eternity. That we just move from one rejoicing to the next from one rebuilding project of God to the next rebuilding, to the next rebuilding, to the next rebuilding, so that our joy spreads, so that it gets outside of these walls into the families that don't have this joy yet, so that it moves from Halliburton to other communities and other townships so that they can have the same joy that we have. The fact that we are rejoicing and that there is revival and that there is renewal and that we are celebrating it is fantastic, but the purpose here is so that it spreads. And if you find yourself far from rejoicing, then renew your connection to God's people and to sacrifice and to service in his kingdom because that's where renewal and revival is found. Because we get into those places where we just don't have that same joy. And what we need to do to get the joy back is we need to get involved in the celebration and in the rejoicing with God's people. Don't let the Tobiases of your life, which are the world and all of its cravings and all of its false satisfactions, move back in and set up shop in your temple. Those old Tobiases, once you've taken that land back, once you've reclaimed it, you have to keep those Tobiases out of your life. They need to be cleaned out and kicked out permanently. Don't neglect the house of God, and that means literally your time at church and serving in ministry, but it also means not neglecting your personal time with God. Don't neglect your spiritual house your own inner temple. If you neglect time in the Word and you 
neglect reading your Bible, if you neglect prayer, if you neglect opening up the eyes and the ears of your heart to see and hear from God, then your joy won't last. Right? You will just be like the people of Israel. You'll just be part of the world and lost unless we are diligent in making sure that we spend time on our own personal house of God and not neglect it. And when emptiness sets in, we'll get distracted and we'll try to fill it with other things. The Jews filled up their Sabbath days with fish markets and trinkets and distractions. And we can do the same thing. Again, if we neglect our satisfaction in God, if we neglect our temple, if we neglect the house of God, then our Sabbath days, our times that are meant for joy, will get filled up with markets and trinkets and distractions. It's all distraction and toys and media and shallow relationships and parties and self-medication and everything else that we surround ourselves and try to fill ourselves up with. That's not what God wants for his people. He wants them to be satisfied in him. But the saddest thing is that when that happens, our light goes out. We lose our saltiness. We lose our witness to our friends and our family. We're not bringing hope to people anymore. We're just bringing distraction at best. And we're not serving with others, but we're serving by ourselves and serving ourselves. And so what started well has completely lost momentum and purpose. And so the warning here is that as God's people, we don't want to do that. So at Lakeside, we're not going to follow in the footsteps of wayward Israel here, right? There's lots of good examples in Israel that we can follow, but this is one of them we're not going to. We're not going to follow in the footsteps of wayward Israel here again, where they're all excited and rejoicing at seeing God work, and they're all excited and rejoicing and joining in sacrifice and joining in service in His work, and they're laughing and celebrating and serving because God has done so much to restore them, and then a few years later, just resting in that complacency, and they find that they're doing nothing again and they're no longer salt and light. We're not going to do that. No, we're going to rejoice in the revival that God is bringing to his people, and in our rejoicing, we're going to renew our efforts. It's in our rejoicing that we're going to renew and redouble our efforts, leaning into the purposes that God has set before us to serve him so that we can be salt and light to those outside the walls, to those that still aren't at the party. Right. So when you're here on Sunday morning, and you feel the joy, and you feel the spirit, and you feel the celebration... And the little party that we have here that doesn't really measure up to this one and it doesn't measure up to what's going to happen in Revelation, but, but just the little party that we have going on here, when you feel that joy, when you feel that satisfaction, then what you have to set in your heart is that you want that to go outside the walls. We want to invite other people into it. We want to keep this rejoicing and this celebration and this satisfaction in God going so that people want to enter into it. We want the lights to stay on. We want the lights to grow brighter. We want the rejoicing to spread out in waves. We want the party to grow as we celebrate what God is doing. Because God is doing great things here in Halliburton. God is doing great things in your families and in your lives and with your friends. I've seen it time and time and time again over the last several months. Sometimes week by week, every week, there's another story of some friend or some family member or some reconnection or people coming to Christ. Next week, we're going to have a baptism. I've got to get that in there. So we're going to have a baptism next week. You've got to come back for that. And, and things are happening, right? And we've got to keep this rejoicing and this satisfaction in God going. We have to keep it spreading. We want the lights to be brighter, not dimmer. We want the salt to be saltier, not less salty. We need this to just spread from here and reach out into the world as God intended for his people to do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We know that you, as you say in Corinthians, you preserve these things for our instruction. And so we take instruction from Nehemiah. We take instruction from your people. And we want to rejoice like they rejoiced and party like they partied because they knew how to have a party. 
And we also want to remember to keep that restoration and renewal and rejoicing and satisfaction going so that we don't end up a few years down the road looking back and saying, where was all that joy? Where was all that hope? How far have we wandered? So, Lord, we just take this time to rededicate and renew and just lean into the joy and the satisfaction and the hope that we find in you and to keep it going. That our rejoicing turns into service and into sacrifice. Whether that's in Sunday school, in VBS, whether that's north of 50, whether that's just with friends or family members, whether that's in giving, whether that's in what's going on with this partnership in Minden and the church down there and what we want to see built there, Lord. There's so many opportunities to build your house and not neglect it. To lean into your kingdom and see it restored and renewed and not grow complacent. Father, give us that passion in our hearts to keep our joy and our satisfaction in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.